everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast. This is your host, Dave Stovall, and you're about to hear an audio clip from our Discipleship.org collective featuring the Bonhoeffer Project. If you're wondering what the Bonhoeffer Project is, it's an organization based on a cohort model that involves monthly gatherings for a max of about 10 months. During these meetings, participants will share what they've learned, focus on specific topics, and work to implement what you're learning in real-time life experiences. You'll be hearing from the Bonhoeffer Project COO, Dan Lights, along with others from their team. All right, everyone, let's jump in and hear what they had to say. Here we go. My name is Dan Lights. I am the president and CEO of the Bonhoeffer Project, and you are watching the Disciple Makers Collective. Uh, we are here and really excited just to be here with you. Um, today, you are uh, looking at the part, well, partial of the national leadership team for the Bonhoeffer Project. We wanted to start out by saying thank you to discipleship.org and Bobby Harrington for allowing us the opportunity to be here today with you guys. Uh, just wanted to take a moment and introduce the crew that we have here uh, in, you know, just basically around the horn. Uh, I'm going to go to my left and start with uh, Jim Thomas. If you would introduce yourself and what you do with the Bonhoeffer Project, that would be amazing. Yeah, uh, I'm Jim and I uh, serve as a director of training for the Bonhoeffer Project. Been with the project for about six, seven years now uh, as a cohort leader um, and also in this role in the national leadership team. Awesome. And what else do you do, Jim? Oh, my day job. Yeah. What's what's your yeah? What's your vocation? <laughs> I am the senior pastor at First Baptist Church in Fayetteville, Georgia. We're just about twenty minutes south of Atlanta, and have uh, actually uh, in next week celebrating ten years here. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Jim. And next on my screen, I have Carmelita. Carmelita, would you share who you are and what you do? Yes, my name is Carmelita Boyce, and I am the women's coordinator here at the Bonhoeffer um, Project. I also coordinate women at my church, at Baylife Church, and then I am an adjunct professor at a, at a Christian school, Christian college here in uh, Tampa, Florida. So that's what awesome. I do. Awesome. Thank you, Carm. Appreciate you very much. And Sandy Mason, give us uh, what's going on with, with Sandy. Who are you? Hey, hey, I'm out here in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, I've been in pastoral ministry for 40 years, started when I was two and, uh, <laughs> I just stepped away from that and I'm doing, uh, Bonhoeffer and coaching pastors in the area. I'm the, I'm the overall over the regional representatives. We have uh, regions all over the country and folks that head those up and I get to pastor and encourage them as well as working in Arizona to launch cohorts. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, like I said, my name is Dan Lights. I am the CEO and president of the Bonhoeffer Project. And I am also, as a vocation, the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Oceanside in what is today a beautiful day in Oceanside, California. And um, it is just a, a pleasure and an honor to be able to serve in this organization with a great group of people and a great team. Today, what I wanted to talk to you guys about, uh, those of you who are listening, is really what makes the Bonhoeffer Project unique. You know, there's uh, obviously many, as you can even see if you've uh, surfed around and, and checked even the discipleship.org uh, website. When you look at that website, there's a lot of partners, a lot of organizations that do 
uh, a lot, a lot of organizations that have a passion for disciple making. But, um, and again, we, we love to even partner with many of them, but we believe that as the Bonhoeffer Project, we are, are set apart just a little bit in what we do and our aim, our focus, our goals. And one of those goals is the real understanding of getting down to the why we do what we do. Now, obviously, um, we know that the Great Commission calls us to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. But I think it's more than that, just to, uh, you know, rather than just say, well, we got to make disciples, we got to know how we make disciples and, and why we're making disciples. Obviously, the Great Commission gives us the mandate to do it. And we can look at the way Jesus did it in terms of the modeling. Uh, but I think there's a lot of freedom within um, churches, within Christianity today, on how it is uh, in the particulars that we make disciples. I wanted to talk to Jim here real quick. Jim, I wanted to kind of ask you a question because one of the things that always struck me about the Bonhoeffer Project and what we do specifically really focuses in on the gospel. And um, I think for many people, there's it, it. maybe it's a little confusing or maybe there needs to be some clarity given. Why is the gospel so important to making disciples? What do they have to do with one another? Yeah, I think I think everything hinges on that. You know, obviously the gospel in and of itself is Jesus. Jesus is the good news, right? And so when we understand that this is really about him, and you know, the unique aspect of making disciples, even even looking at the first century and and, and uh, the context in antiquity, is that most disciples that were being made, whether they be in the Jewish world or in the Greek world were made for, for other people. I'm, I'm a disciple of Gamaliel or I'm a disciple of Socrates or Plato or whatever. The, the difference with Christianity is that we're making disciples for somebody else. Mm. We're making disciples for Jesus because he is the gospel. He is the good news. And so when we talk about the gospel, it goes back to a person, first of all. I think secondly, in our presentation of that good news, uh, we have a very, obviously a very Western and, and for us, a very evangelical mindset of what the gospel is when we say the gospel, things come to mind, right? Uh, it could be as simple as a plan of salvation or an event or um, an invitation in some churches. But but I think when we start to investigate what the biblical gospel is, we see that the gospel that's being presented, especially in the West, is not wrong necessarily. Though we identify six different gospels that are being preached in in the West, and and some of those. Are, are, are somewhat faulty in different areas. Um, we do that as we go through the Bonhoeffer Project. But I think overall, one thing we need to remember is that when Jesus spoke of the gospel, he spoke of the kingdom. And when he spoke of the kingdom, a kingdom always has to relate itself to a king. You don't have a kingdom without a king, right? And who is the king? Well, he is the good news. He's Jesus. And so if he's the king, then the question becomes, what did this king do? And we see that in what we usually call a plan of salvation presentation, right? God loves you, you're a sinner, but he loves you so much he sent his son and his son lived a perfect life. He died on a cross for your sin. Uh, he rose from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of the father and one day he's going to come back. So in the context of the biblical gospel, none of that's wrong, but a lot of times we just stop with that, right? And so the idea of the gospel is about a kingdom and about a king and what this king has done but Jesus also calls us to response. We see it in Mark 1, uh, verse 15. We see it in Mark 1, verse 17, in Mark 8 as well. Um, 
And the response in Mark 1.15 is simply this, repent and believe. And then we see in Mark 1.17, follow, right? And so a king is being presented. What the king has done is significant, and therefore we have to respond to that king in some way. And Jesus' command was to repent, to turn, to change our mind about ourselves and about him, uh, believe that he is who he says he is, the son of God, and follow him. And I think that's where most presentations of the gospel in the modern church, or we can call it postmodern or post-postmodern or wherever you want to go with that, um, fall short. I think a lot of the gospel presentations that we that we give in churches end at the starting line. and. You know, and I grew up in that type of church. I grew up in what we call a forgiveness only church where uh, the whole goal was to get somebody to make a decision to believe in Jesus. Right. But after that, we really didn't know what to do with them. Right. right? So because the decision was this, it was decision for Jesus so that I can go to heaven when I die. But what N.T. Wright and others call the in-between time. We kind of don't know what to do with that. So we fill it with programming. We fill it with worship services. We fill it with Bible studies. But there's really no purpose behind any of that. And I think when you start to investigate the gospel in light of the gospels, you start to see a bigger vision of new creation. You see it in Paul's writings and all the all the New Testament writers as well. But you see a bigger vision of new creation and what that life really means from character development to, to how we love others, to how we love God, obviously, with the great commandment, greatest commandment. So I think, I don't know if that, that kind of gets us to yeah. rise next with your question, but I think, you know, to summarize everything I just said is that I think our gospel traditionally has not been wrong, but maybe it's been incomplete when you push it back up against the word of God. Amen. Amen. And Sandy, let me ask you, you've been uh, in the church world pastoring for, for many years. You're now leading and and uh, discipling churches and church pastors, what is the effect? What, like, what have you seen, uh, in your own ministry or in the ministries of the churches that you're helping? What have you seen the effect of this, uh, what Jim just talked about an incomplete gospel? What is, what is the fruit of an incomplete gospel? You know, I think we just need to say it right out, Dan. We're the only ones doing this right. We just say that right now. <laughs> and we're going to tell you why. <laughs> there you go. Sandy, calling you know, it like it is. <laughs> you know, we, we've had 2,000 years. Think about that. Mm. We've had 2,000 years to massage, manipulate, mess with mm. the purity of the call of Jesus. Mm. And uh, I want to Im impress uh, Dr. Thomas by quoting Thoreau because he had this great quote I had on a poster in college. He said, uh, there's a thousand hacking at the branches of evil and there's one striking at the root. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in the Bonhoeffer project, we're, we're getting at the root issue from which everything else grows and proceeds. And so if you're off center on what is the call of Jesus, then these dear pastors, they're, they're consumed with uh, attendance and buildings and budget and counseling and crisis management. And they wonder, why am I doing this? And they're not seeing life change. So, Dan, to go back to your question, I think the most satisfying thing is as pastors get back to uh, having a personal ministry of discipleship to men and women, and then leading their leaders to become disciple makers, they start seeing life change. Yeah. That's the fun and what got them in the 
the deal in the first place. So, amen. Well, and you just said it. I think that's one of the um, crucial aspects. And I believe we, we have, uh, as my former pastor used to say, we have just enough of Jesus to make us miserable, which means we've seen these glimpses, like you say, of life change, yeah. but we're not seeing enough of it to make us go back to the drawing board and say, why aren't we getting more of this change that we see throughout scripture and the stuff that really keeps us going? Like as I'm uh, currently in in uh, my church teaching through Acts, everywhere Paul's going for the most part with uh, uh, you know few along the way where he's getting stoned and people are uh, wanting to kill him. But most every place that he goes to, he preaches the gospel and people are getting saved and there's fruit. And then he goes and swings around on his second and third missionary journeys, encouraging those people and the church is growing. And so there's an enthusiasm that begins to uh, be sparked. And it's a grassroots level, if you will, uh, in people's hearts. And then that change becomes infectious. And it's not infectious because we're seeing new programs and, and, and new um, uh, happenings at the church. We're seeing growth in people's lives. Yeah. And I think that's the, the, the lifeblood of any minister of the gospel, I think it's uh, something we've we've lacked for far too long. You know, it's hard because there's there's pressure to make something happen. You know, yeah. uh, there's pressure to have a new program or greater attendance, and and I I've, I lived under that for, for all many years. And mm. disciple making is just slower work, yeah. and yeah. so it just takes uh, it takes courage. Uh, these men and women, they need support. They need people like us around them to encourage them that they're about the things that matter because uh, the cultural pressure in the church is what's the new thing? Are we growing? What's the budget? Uh, that kind of stuff that yeah. can knock you off course. Yeah, we've gotten less focused on uh, people and more on a process. Yeah. Amen. Keeping an institution going. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, Carmelita, you know, uh, Sandy just said something there that I think is something that I'd like you to speak to. And that's just the slow process of <laughs> disciple making, because yeah. again, there's an, there's a, uh, listen, anybody who's watching and including everybody here on the screen, we love instant results. And I was just talking to my church this last weekend. We live in such a, uh, gotta have it now instant gratification society yeah. I say we li we live in a hot pocket world. We we want it done two minutes or less. Get it in the microwave and get it done. Where discipleship is more like a slow cooker. Um, it's going to take yeah. some time, but the results are worth it. Can you speak into a little bit of that, Carm? Yes, because uh, I live minutes. I, like I can get stuff from Amazon in two hours because of <laughs> <laughs> I know. And, I'm, I gotta I'm, move. I'm, that's great. and I scroll so I can find the thing, what, which one will come in two hours. But that's true, right? We want things to happen so quickly because we're used to all of our products, our food, our deliveries all happening so quickly that we think that the same should happen in our spiritual lives also. Mm -hmm. And that's not that's not the way Jesus worked when he did his discipleship. He didn't come and say, hey, come here. I'm going to teach you for four weeks or six weeks or three hours and then you you're discipled and go and do your thing. He had them with them day and night for three years. Right. And so um, for us to think that we can do discipleship in anything less than that is sure. to say is to say it's something big. And I don't 
think I want to say that. So um, the slow process, but like you said, it's worth it, right? Would you rather have the microwave meal of the of the beef stew that you put in the microwave or would you rather have it in the slow cooker? Which one yeah. tastes better, right? Yeah. I don't know in your house, but in my house, always the one that goes in the slow cooker tastes much yeah. better than the one you get out of the freezer. Oh, good analogy. And That's right. Absolutely. So um, to have well um, taught, well, um, rounded disciples in your church is an asset to you. That means you have solid volunteers. That means you have people that are that are giving on a regular basis. That means you have people that are committed and, and talking about Jesus. And when they go out into the community, they not only represent your church well, they represent Jesus well. And so yeah. that's what we're trying to get to, not these people that we brought in and we and we given them something, we've exchanged some information to them or imparted some information into them, but we've We've made a life change, like you said, Dan. Yeah, amen. And and I think that's what, you know, and, and going back to even what Sandy was saying, right. this is what the Bonhoeffer Project uh, teaches. It gets to that root that gets, again, especially pastors. It's not only for pastors. It's for lay people. It's for uh, support staff, support ministry workers, associate pastors. But it, it helps change our mind about the work of ministry that Christ has called us to. Jesus said very clearly that it's his church. The church belongs to him. It doesn't belong to us. You hear pastors say this all the time. I say it all the time. This isn't my church. But in many facets and in many uh, tangible ways, we wrestle the wheel away, right? We're <laughs> like, it's not, it's not my church, but here, give me the wheel. I'm going to drive for a while. And if you don't mind handing me the pink slip, I'm pretty good at this, right? And so we we wrestle away this mindset or this um, task that we were never meant to take on. It is not our job to build his church. Jesus said, this is my church. The gates of hell won't stand against it. His mandate to us was simply to go make disciples. And when we make disciples, we leave the building of the church to Jesus. And I'll tell you what, for me, that was probably the greatest relief. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I think as he's talking about that, he's saying, because the building of the church is my job. You focus on making disciples. You focus on the slow cooker. You focus on that life change, the intentional time spent with people. Let me build the church. And what can happen, again, this is inevitable because I'm, a, like many pastors, I'm a type A personality. I am a, a, a D on the disc, a hard, hard and fast D on the disc, love leadership, love starting things, love uh, getting my hands dirty and getting into the roots of things and figuring things out. I love making things happen. But discipleship is the opposite of that. Mm -hmm. Discipleship has the initiative, no doubt, has the, the clarity and the purpose and the intentionality of creation of disciples, but it leaves that growth to Christ. It says, Jesus, this is yours. It's yeah. not mine. Let me focus on these few. And, and inevitably, not everything's going to always work out how we want, right? We'd love to always have wins. But, you know, I'll say it this way. Even Jesus had a loss, mm -hmm. right? Even Jesus had Judas. Um, Jim, let me ask you this. As a senior pastor, how do we, because again, there's, there's this 
obvious desire to make things happen, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, As doers, we want to do. And the result of doing is productivity. How do we balance in a church the do and the be? How do we balance that, especially as leaders? Well, I think it gets back to the why question that you mentioned earlier. I'm going to take your hot pocket example again. Anytime I've ever eaten a hot pocket, which is not on a continual basis, I, I, I just have to confess that if you're a hot pocket person, more more power Praying to you. For you. <laughs> every time, every time I've eaten a hot pocket, I've scalded my mouth because I don't even have enough patience to let it cool down before I take it out of the pocket and just pop it in, right? And so yeah. for the next three days, I'm asking the question: Why can't I taste anything? Right. Yeah. Well, it's because I ate that whatever, that ham and cheese or pepperoni or whatever thing. And it's just totally, you know, just roached my mouth. Molten lava in your mouth. Yeah, that's that's all it is. Well, I think pastors and leaders do the same thing, especially in regards to disciple making. Mm. They implement something that they think is going to be the silver bullet. They think it's going to be the microwavable solution to their hunger for growth or or even even using the phrase disciple making. And all of a sudden, it doesn't work out. And people start falling off by the wayside or it doesn't get traction or nobody gets on board or they get criticism or whatever. And now they feel like a failure and they don't understand why the microwave result or the microwave uh, uh, attempt failed on them. Well, I guess I'll just have to try the next thing that comes along, right? And, And there's no holistic thinking hardly at all, right? It's all about the what's the next thing that will work. And I think when we can set that aside and say, this is not about the next fad. This is not about the next curriculum that comes out. I'm not anti-curriculum, but I think curriculum has a purpose within a larger context. Um, This is not about the next cool logo or the next whatever. This is about sustainability. And I think when we start to talk about that, we need to start talking about the definition of success. Hey, I hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. I wanted to take just a second to tell you about the Discipleship.org Collective. It's an online community designed for disciples and disciple makers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you fit in one or both of those categories. And we made this website with your needs in mind. The website itself is super cool because it's like stepping into a virtual church building. There's a welcome center, an auditorium for main events, and even some classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective where we provide weekly webinars, we've got ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you and also your whole church. And don't mistake this for just a website, it's actually a community for disciple makers. Basic membership is free, but there's also a premium access option that includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So go to discipleship.org collective and sign up for your free membership today. So what is success in ministry? Uh, uh, yeah. You know, so is it the numbers that I'm, we're attracting at our church or I'm attracting as a preacher or a leader? Is success uh, more hits on our, our, on our social media sites? Is, is, is it whatever? Or is it developing people into being mature followers of Jesus who are helping others to do the same? And I want to go back to what Sandy said a second ago. 
that's a long, hard, arduous process. Yeah. We, uh, our friend Bill Hull came to, uh, to Georgia where I am and we did two pastors, uh, luncheons. Um, and they were free. So we had like 150 signed up at each and then a hundred people showed up at each. Right. So it's just kind of how free events go. Um, and I had a guy come up to me after the second event and he said, okay, well, this Bonhoeffer project thing grow my church. No, he just asked you that outright. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and we said, (laughs) what do you mean by growing your church? Right. He goes, will it bring more people in the doors? And I said, oh, absolutely not. (laughs) <laughs> and, he, and he was kind of shocked. He was like, then why did I come to this lunch? Why did I come? Yeah. And, and, and we just looked at him and went, because that may not be the right goal. I, I get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. You got to pay the light bills. You, you have a spiritual desire to reach people. I get it. But this is about growing people more than it is about growing in it. Like Sandy said, or Dan said, an institution or a, or a religious organization. Right. Right. This is about reaching and growing people toward maturity in Christ. And I think when we start to redefine what success is, not based on anything I say, but based on what Jesus said, and even the New Testament writers, I mean, Paul, Colossians 1, 28 and 29, what was his goal in ministry? It was to present everyone mature before the throne of Christ, mm-hmm. right? Doing so as God worked his power through Paul. You know, I, I just don't think we're going to get before the throne of Christ. And he's going to ask us how big our churches were. I just don't think that's, what, I don't think that's going to be the question. I yeah. think the question is going to be, were you obedient? Yeah. Did you do what I asked you to do? Did you make decisions? Amen. You know? Yeah. And so I think that your original question, Dan, was the, the doing, right? right. Um, and, and I think the doing fits in. But it has to fit in in the right context of vision, obedience, and what Jesus has originally called us to do. And then we can build something more holistically and not just a program to try to fit a niche in our church. So we say we're making disciples. Right. You know, it was something um, as you were talking, it it was reminding me last night, uh, our board had our uh, monthly board meeting. And I was. Uh, one of the things we do a couple of times a year is we bring in a financial advisor uh, from one of the banks that we use, and uh, he's a brother in Christ, and we were just talking to him about the current volatility in the market, the current volatility in the world, and it was interesting just as he was talking. He didn't know at the time that he was giving me a great analogy for, for uh, just spiritual things, but he was talking about slow growth, slow and steady growth. And he was talking about not trying to time the market, uh, not trying to jump in at the low and try and, uh, or jump out, you know, just buying at the right time, selling at the right time. He said, timing the market is almost completely useless because it's, if you do it, it's pure luck and, and circumstantial that it happened when it happened. But he started talking just about the different commodities and the different things that you want to be invested in for long-term growth. Yeah. It's not the 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 shot in the pan. It's not or the flash in the pan. It's not this. Uh, look at this amazing thing that just happened, and it's just this blip. I, I've been at churches all my life that did launch events, huge launch parties, and it's a giant spike. You get four or five hundred people to show up for one event, and then the next week it's fifty. Mm-hmm. So it's just this flash in the pan, and then it just dwindles down. 
Whereas we're trying to have that slow, steady growth that, yeah, maybe has some ups and downs, but the growth is in people. And those people who are mature, Jim, you said it, are on the path, also making disciples. Follow me as I follow Christ. Make disciples with me as I make disciples of Christ. And it, and it ends up being um, just a co-laboring. Um, and like you said, when you talked about Colossians, right, that we present people mature. I think that's great. Well, and this is not a critique against large churches. Dan's in a large church. You know, Sandy sure. pastored a large church. So I'm the only one not in a large church. We're considered <laughs> a large church. We're not a mega church. Yeah, what's considered... wrong with you, Jim? What's I don't know. Obviously, <laughs> I failed in ministry, Sandy. I failed in ministry, right? So this isn't a, that isn't a critique against large churches. And there, I believe also, Dan, there are seasons where God just gives the increase. And all of a yeah. sudden, you have this influx of people, and you're like, okay, we had a yeah. program or we had an event and they stuck. My question then is, what do you do with them? Yeah. You know, uh, you know, and I've been in those, uh, I was, I was a youth pastor for 15 years, executive pastor for eight years before God called me to be a senior pastor. And I remember being an executive pastor and sat in a group of executive pastors. And the question on the table is what Christian celebrity can we bring in next to continue (laughs) to attract people to our church? And I'm like, is that the right question? <laughs> you know, why don't we just disciple our people? You know, that didn't go well, by the way. Um, yeah. But you but weren't there I for started, very long, were you? No, I really, but they're like, thanks for coming to our one meeting that we're going to. Yeah, you're to. done. You're done. Here. Um, but the idea that God gives seasons of growth, but the question is, if we don't have a holistic view of discipling people over the long haul, then what's going to be the attrition rate from for what God has provided for us, right? Because mm-hmm. we're called as under shepherds to be stewards of that which God provides, right? And so what are we going to do with those people? So this isn't a critique. I have a lot of friends in very large churches. I don't think size is the issue here. I, I think, sure. I mean, if it is, then every small church pastor, which by the way, is the majority of the churches in the United States, mm-hmm. 150 and less, something like that. Then none of them will be successful in the eyes of their Savior. Mm. And I just don't think that's right. I think that's a fallacy. Yeah, agreed. Totally agreed. agreed. Carm, let me ask you a question because I think, you know, of, of all of the uh, ladies involved with the Bonhoeffer project, there's, there's a part that I think that you have a bead on, and I've seen it in your life, and I've seen it in the way you talk, and that is relationships. Yes. Um, explain to me and just, Again, obviously, we know about disciple making, uh, and, and there is a relational component. Jesus, you know, really taught on that and honed in on that. How do you see, especially looking at our society, which has become increasingly non-relational? Right. How do you see the relationship portion of disciple making uh, really contributing to the growth in? And again, unfortunately, I have to say this: the popularity of getting back to the Great Commission, but <laughs> how does relationship play, play a role in that? So a relationship is central to discipleship, right? Without the, without the relationship, you don't have discipleship. Um, and it is in relationship that we are able to speak to things in people that we see that we have an influence in their life. It's only through that relationship that we have that influence in their lives. And and so building relationship, maintaining relationship is essential for discipleship. And I, I think our 
our society is lacking. I was at lunch with the, some people today and I, um, and we were talking about how, how lonely people are these days. They're just extremely lonely. They're looking for any kind of connection that they have. And lots of times they settle for whatever social media, whatever that looks like that has to do with the little device that they ha have in their hand yeah. and they call that relationship. And, um, that's not always relationship. That's mm -hmm. seldomly relationship. Actually, that's um, relationship is knowing somebody well, um, all of them, whether it's um, whether all of the good and then all of the bad and then all that comes in between that. Right. And knowing them and knowing them well and being able and loving them anyways. <laughs> yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and and thankfully, I have some people in my life who love me anyway. <laughs> so, Amen. so, Amen. and so that gives me the uh, courage and the ability to love other people, anyways. But that's the way Jesus loves us, right? He Amen. says, "Hey, I know all of it. I, I'm teaching later on this afternoon on the woman at the well, and he knew everything about her, and loved her, and accepted her, and invited her in, anyways. And and for us, that's the same thing. As as disciple makers, we know it all. And I encourage you to get to know it all. I have this incredible ability to walk through the grocery store and people decide that I should know their whole story. And I go, <laughs> after they tell me that, I'm like, okay, what's your name again? <laughs> but, but they, you know, to know people's stories um, and not be afraid to ask. Most of the time when I ask that, if I ask somebody, there's only been one person that was like, what, what do you want? <laughs> that, that, that asked me that. But most people are like, let me tell you something about myself. Let, let, I want you to know me. I want you to see who I truly am. And then um, those that are a little bit hesitant are fearful that you'll find out the ugly and then reject mm. them. And mm -hmm. so being as Jesus was and saying, I'm going to accept you, the good, the bad, the ugly, and then I'm going to, I'm going to walk with you as you and Jesus work out what needs to be worked out in, in those places. So you look more and act more like Jesus, like, like we have living, loving, like Jesus does. That's yeah. what we're going for. Right. Amen. You know, and that leads me to something that I want to address. And I want all of you to kind of chime in on this question. If you look, I'm going to point to it on my shelf right here. Do you see behind me, behind my finger, there's a jar right there. In that jar is water from the Jordan River. And one of the brothers uh, in our fellowship a long time ago went to the Jordan River and had an experience. And he had this experience in the Jordan River, so much so that he filled several jars of water with the Jordan River water, bottled it up brought it back to the States. And he gave one to me as a memento, as a, a monument kind of uh, testimony to the experience that he had. But so often, I think we can take an experience, we can take even a success of relationship building or right, we see the end result, and we're like, man, that was amazing. And so what do we do? We bottle it up. And we try to make it into Hey, check this out. I hope you have the same experience. So all that to say, the question is this, how do we keep from turning discipleship? How do we keep from Americanizing it and making it into a program and turning it into just another, uh, uh, uh another do list thing yeah, that we have as part of the shelf. Yeah, exactly. How do we, how do we keep it from becoming that bottle on the shelf? Sandy, let's go to you first. 
Uh, that's a great picture, man. The Bible on the show. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it reminds me. It's there to remind me all the time. Hey, you can't necessarily bottle it. Well, it's yeah. starting to evaporate. I don't know how to figure that out, but that's a whole. That's <laughs> another analogy cool for another time. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think the, the challenge, and this is what is so hard, and this is where uh, a preacher has an advantage because you shape culture. Like Jim has stepped into a church. How many years old is your church, Jim? We were a church plant in 1828. Okay. <laughs> an old church, friends. That's an old church. And he's not joking about that. He's <laughs> no, not joking yeah. about that. He's in the Bible Belt. They've you know, been doing a long time. So so there was a culture problem for Jim. And that's what that's what I want people to understand is we're talking about changing the culture. So it's not a program. It's not a new emphasis. You're, you're changing the culture. And so that takes some, some thinking. It, it takes starting with the right people. So uh, I'll steal again, uh, Carmelita and Jim Sunder, they started meeting with leaders because they knew if I get the right people, the right influencers in my congregation to get this, that we're talking about a life of following Jesus. And that's different than pray, prayer, go to heaven. Now the church is a cafeteria. No, it's a lifestyle of following him. And so making disciples is not a program. It's a lifestyle, a way of what it means to be a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. So that, that's my word on that. Carm, what's your thoughts? How do we keep it from being a program? Uh, that I mean, it's 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 a struggle, right? Because um, on the one hand, it is this personal interaction that you have with the person, but then you are wanting them to do this with somebody else. Like you want them to go out and and like for me in our context, I tell the people that I'm discipling, you're not a disciple until you're making a disciple, right? Until you're doing this with somebody else, you're not. Yeah. You're, right now you're learning, but soon you have to be the one teaching also. Right. And so um, so how do you make that so that they can go out and do it, but also keep it where it's very personal? And that that's the struggle. Um, I for for in my context, I don't we have curriculum that our church, I'm not the leader of our church, but our church has curriculum that they suggest and that they encourage people to go through. But the people that I lead, usually they are discipling people that I lead, like there's leaders discipling other leaders. And so I give them a little bit of freedom and, and we have a conversation and say, you know, what does this person, what did they say they, they needed, needed to be discipled in, how they need to grow in Christ. And then and then I ask the person who's going to be discipling, the disciple maker, how, what do you feel like they need to do? And then we come up with something together, all three of us, that says, this might be something that will help you to move in the direction that you feel like you need improvement, like where you need to be more like Christ. And that keeps it a little bit fresher. <laughs> um, but it's hard It's hard to balance that. But continuing, like, like Sandy said, to, to think this is not just a program. This is people's lives. And I think if we keep it very personal, this is not a program. This is people. And people are very individual and not everyone thing all the time will help us from keeping it, making it be that bottle on the shelf. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Jim, what's your thoughts? Well, I think the first thing we need to acknowledge is that programs and events aren't wrong or bad. Right. Unless they become the end. And that's where we get the bottle on the shelf. How many, all of us, everybody listening and watching today, all of us on this, uh, this recording today, we've all had the conversations. Remember when we did that thing? 
Remember <laughs> when we studied that book? Remember yeah. when we had that event? Yeah. And the people bring it up because it meant something to them. Yeah. Now you talk to another person and it may not have meant as much to that other person as it did to the person you're talking to. And right. so there's a little subjectivity in the impact that that event had. And I don't think we need to discount that. We had this event five years ago and it changed my life forever. Praise God. But if that's the end, and of course, what does that person want? They want the bottle. But let's repackage that. Right. Let's do that again. And are there seasons where you repeat stuff? Absolutely. Absolutely. We go to youth camp every summer. We go to kids. We have we host our own kids camp every summer. We do VBS every summer. Right. Why? Because those are tradi- those are traditions for us. They differ in theme and they differ in people and they differ all. But we still do those things over and over. But if VBS is the end, I'm just taking one thing as an example. This was going to get sure. me kicked out of my denomination. But um, East Southern VBS, Baptist, thank you, Sandy. I appreciate that. Uh, if VBS is the end, then we do ministry <laughs> once a year. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's you it. Know? So I think this is where vision comes in. Mm-hmm. That if the events and the programs don't lead to a bigger vision, then the events and the programs are the end in themselves and we'll never be satisfied and we'll have to, and we'll see, and we did a, a Thanksgiving dinner, church-wide Thanksgiving dinner for years, decades, right? And eventually we whittled ourselves down to an amount of people where we probably could have gone out to eat. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> uh, just attendance, just prices on food went up. People went out of town more, blah, blah, blah. Culture changed. And, and we finally just, the ladies, especially the ladies who were kind of leading that up in our church, got sick of doing it, and it just dwindled to nothing. And so we just had to say, done, right? And then we had people going, we're not doing Thanksgiving dinner anymore? Well, not like yeah. that, no, right? But it meant so much to me. Well, we're thankful that it meant so much to you, but the other so many hundred people didn't feel the same way, you know? Yeah. And so if that was the end, again, I think we're in the wrong space, but what if we had a vision for something much bigger, where all of those programs and events would fit into the context of driving us toward that vision. That changes the whole mindset of the church. Hello, Disciple Makers Podcast listeners. I want to invite you to the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum here in Nashville, Tennessee on October 5th and 6th. Jesus had a strategy, a plan, and a roadmap for making disciples. In other words, he was highly intentional. He guided, coached, and developed his disciples into full-on disciple makers. And by living out the Great Commission, they changed the entire world. We're constantly gaining new insight about intentional discipleship as we look closely at Jesus. And if we're thoughtful and prayerful, we can apply many of those same practices today. So head on over to discipleship.org to buy your tickets for the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum. I look forward to seeing you there. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw something in there as well, because it's one thing. Obviously, I'm in a, in a larger church that is um, trying this out trying to see if, if you can make a church that's literally centered on literally every facet towards making disciples. And mm-hmm. to me, it all comes down to evaluation. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, and I'll say it this way, programs aren't bad. 
It's not wrong. Mm-hmm. I don't want to make it sound like a, a program is a, is a bad word or a dirty word in a church because there are, even within discipleship, there are programmatic elements, especially if you want to keep things consistent. If you want to, you know, if, if you're wanting to reproduce and reproduce well, well, there needs to be some sort of programmatic element to it to make sure that you can um, produce the same thing every time. At the same time, if there's not a constant assessment, evaluation, or reassessment, that's when it becomes a program really well. There's a quote that I love from Dallas Fuller, and I've actually got it on my door. I don't want to read it verbatim. It says, every church needs to, at, to be able to answer two questions. First, what is our plan for making disciples? And second, does our plan work? Mm. And, and that, those are the two questions. Are we doing it? Okay, we are. Now we have to evaluate, is it working? Are we making what we intended to make? Are we producing at the end of the spigot, the very thing that Jesus called us to make? Are people, Galatians 5, producing the fruit of the spirits or the fruits of the spirit? Are there things happening that would say, yes, we are indeed making it. And then we can tweak and we can alter, but we have to have a process in place for evaluation. So if you want to have a program, have a program of constant evaluation and assessment. Well, and I think this is where, and and I've always said this in our cohorts, uh, this is the intersection of discipleship and leadership, right? And I think that one doesn't exist without the other. If you're not discipling people, you're really not biblically leading them anywhere. If you're not leading them, you're probably not discipling them, right? So those two things work in tandem. And so I think evaluation then becomes a critical component If you're going to be looking toward that vision, whatever God's vision is for your local ministry context. And so uh, the question that's brought up all the time is, okay, so how, what do you do with the sacred cows, right? (laughs) You know, what do you do with them? And because they're still there and people are passionate about what they're passionate about, but what if those sacred cows don't point toward the vision? What if they don't help in the overall vision for making disciples? And my response to people on that is usually we one of twofold. You either shoot the cow or you let it wander off and starve. And I think the harder one, obviously, is shooting the sacred cow, right? It's, it's just hard. It's messy. Uh, you're going to have uh, that, that social feedback in the life of the church and, and the negativity potentially that comes from that if it truly is a sacred cow in the church, right? Um, but there are times when that has to happen move everything forward, right? The other is just let it wander off and die. Well, part of that is you may have a sacred cow, but it's only a passion of one or two people. And killing it's going to do more damage than just letting it kind of, it's not doing anything to really influence the congregation. It's really not doing anything to enhance disciple making. You would love to be corrective there. And in attempts to be corrective, it can't be corrected. Just let it wander off because it'll eventually just peter out on its own. So uh, those both of those strategies have worked. I hate having to shoot things like that. I haven't that had to do it m- many times in ministry. Um, unless, especially though, if it is contrary to the vision of making disciples or if it's kingdom building within the life of the church that isn't about the kingdom of God. Yeah, Those things have to be addressed immediately if you're going to continue to lead forward. You know, and and one of the things, and I'll speak to that as well, because I think a lot of times, you know, as as we began the process of kind of putting uh, putting it out there that 
things are going to change a little bit in, in a more intentional mindset and, and direction, um, people started getting scared, right? The sacred cows started kind of lowing about and going, oh, you know, what, what's happening? Um, and one person in particular who oversaw ministry came to me and said, you know, I heard we're getting shut down. And I said, you know, where, where'd you hear that from? And, and basically quieted them down. I said, you're not getting shut down. They said, well, what, what do we do? And I said, all I'm asking you to do is to alter the focus of your ministry. Give me a better why on the back end. And when, and, and to be honest, and this is probably the coolest part about it, when they altered their why, when it went from to fellowship, to hang out, to just talk, to ministry, to outreach, to evangelize, the ministry began to grow because people weren't coming for an inward focus. They were coming in to be outward focused. There you go. And it changed the whole mindset because now the purpose wasn't self, it was others. And that's what Jesus said. Come, right? I'm going to serve you. I give you an example, servant of all. And so when people get to do then what they're, um, what they're, what God made them for, which is to serve others, now they're fulfilling the role that God has given them. And it's no longer just uh, to make me uh, have a better day. It's I get to help others have uh, a fuller life. Right. Well, that, that's a great third. Yeah, that's a great third aspect of that. What do you do with the sacred cow? Kill it, let it wander off, or repurpose it. Right. Yeah. Yep. And like we we still have Sunday school, and I've, I've been asked by many church leaders, okay, why why are you still calling it that? Why aren't you calling it Bible fellowships or community groups or life groups or all these other things? And I said, because I like my job. Uh, we were a church plant in 1828, and it's been called Sunday School since 1828. I said, I can change the name and die on that hill, or we can change Sunday School to be a disciple-making mechanism. Right. So yeah. why don't we change what we do in those contexts to help make disciples instead of spend all of our energy doing a name change that 75% of our people are going to hate? You know. <laughs> so let's be wise about this. Be who we are as a local church, but repurpose it according to the vision of making disciples in that context. And so I think that repurposing idea, Dan, is brilliant. That's that's a great insight. Amen. Dan, you, you said something else that when you were talking about making disciples and, and reevaluating what we are doing, um, I, I, I like to go back to the beginning because in order to reevaluate, if you're making disciples, you have to know what a disciple looks like. What yeah. what do we want to get? So you have to begin at the begin at the beginning and say, in our context, before we even say we're going to make disciples, what is a disciple? And start Amen. there and move forward, right? Amen. And that actually brings me to where I want to kind of spend the, the remainder of our time today. And obviously, I don't want to give away everything because there's a lot to, to be uh, uh, kind of parsed out and nuanced within the Bonhoeffer Project. But we wanted to tell you a little bit about what the Bonhoeffer Project is. We, we've again, danced around a lot of it. We've talked about some of the particulars about the Bonhoeffer Project, but we really wanted to give you an idea. And listen, this is coming from everybody here that you're seeing on the screen. We've all been through the Bonhoeffer Project. We've all led cohorts in the Bonhoeffer Project. We've led multiple cohorts within the Bonhoeffer Project, and we believe in it very much. Everybody that you're seeing on the screen uh, does what they do because they love Jesus. They're not doing it because they get a paycheck. They're doing it because they love 
what the Bonhoeffer Project stands for and what it's about. And what we do is a 10-month process of getting you to understand how to make your own plan for disciple making. And some people say, well, why can't you just give us a curriculum? The curriculum is usually not the problem because there's, as we even say, so many great curriculums out there that there's not one that we would say, we pick this one over the next one. But what we want you to do is understand the why, as we've talked about before, why we make disciples, how we make disciples. But again, what we do is we go upstream all the way to the headwaters of the gospel to make sure you understand and that we holistically understand what the king of the kingdom said and how we are to make those disciples. Because when we have the gospel right, everything flows downstream from the gospel. So if you start midstream and you just start with a program, because as Jim even alluded to, everyone's looking for the silver bullet. Everybody's wanting just that uh, one thing that's going to help them um, bring people into the church. Is this going to bring people into the church? Is the guy asked Jim, no, this is going to teach your people how to make disciples. But again, it's more holistic than that because we do go back upstream to the gospel. So it's a 10-month process. You're paired with uh, a cohort leader, and and basically there's two cohort leaders in each cohort for the most part. Uh, A lot of times you have a a main one and a backup one. I've been both, which is fantastic. I get to see both sides of that. Uh, But you spend hours, um, three hours each session. Uh, It's As we kind of describe it, it's like a master's level class. Uh, where you're able to really dissect these things. Bill Hull, who is our founder, uh, authored most of what we see along with Brandon Cook. And it really takes you through this process of uh, really dissecting your heart. And that's the hard part of the, right? Uh, One of the things that, that Jim and I were talking about a few weeks ago is overcoming the pride barrier. And that is uh, the, uh, being able to look at your own ministry and and having that truthful process of assessment and being able to look at it and say, am I actually making disciples? Do I think that simply preaching on the weekend is making disciples? Uh, do I think that having a, a 80 ministries at my church is making disciples, right? So we have to ask the hard questions. There's one specific, and I'll, I'll even give you guys this as a freebie. It's the one that probably set me on a course of uh, spiraling down and then being rebuilt, which is the whole point. Um, but I was asked in the Bonhoeffer Project, what is the gospel? And you kind of come up with this, uh, what your thing is. Uh, but then they have you ask other people. This is so hard. Ask other people what they hear you say the gospel is. That is one of the most telling things as a Christian, because you're, and listen, I've heard the ranges from, I don't know if I've ever shared the gospel to, oh my gosh, I don't even know how to articulate it to others saying, I hear you talking about forgiveness only. I hear you just talking about heaven. It is filleting of the soul hard. I'll tell you that right now. And so what it is though, it it shows you where you need to work shows you where you need to be better and more intentional and more focused and more purposeful in your gospel and how you present it to people. Because uh, Jim said it at the beginning, uh, a lot of times where churches um, 
kind of seal the deal. They don't know what to do after that. And we don't want to do that either. We don't want to just um, what we call in our church is uh, creating, and again, this is a graphic term, but spiritual abortions. We don't want to raise people up to get them to that point and then just abandon them or leave them on their own. We want to show them how to follow Christ in such a way. Uh, closing thoughts, Jim, why should people get into a cohort? Why should people uh, take a look at the Bonhoeffer Project a little more deeply? Well, I think I'll speak from my own experience uh, so that you can become a better leader. Um, uh, as, you, as you go through this process, anything that's worth doing is, is hard, right? And this is hard. In fact, I have uh, a pastor friend of mine got into the Bonhoeffer Project and he came back about three or four months in. He goes, this is really hard. I said, but is it good? And he said, yeah, it really is good. It's changing me. God is using it to change me from the inside out. And it's given me a new vision. This is an older pastor, um, you know, in their 80s or 90s, kind of like Sandy. Um, <laughs> Sandy's only 42. I said that out Sandy's loud. only I 42. That was just in my head. I'm sorry. I thought that was just in my head. No, this guy, this guy is actually in his 60s. And, and he said, this has given me a new vision for ministry. And I thought, wow, that that type of work of the spirit through being a part of a cohort is worth everything we do. Amen. Well, and I'm going to go to Sandy next because Sandy was actually the one who sold me on the Bonhoeffer Project, even though he doesn't totally remember it. Um, we were at a conference and he, he gave me the beat around <laughs> the bush. He was asking, <laughs> uh, but Sandy, why, again, maybe even share a little bit of your experience within the Bonhoeffer Project. Why do people need to get in one? What, what's, what's in it? You know, it's not for everybody. I mean, this isn't everybody, every Christian is not going to benefit from this. It's from people that are at a place of dissatisfaction, frustration. They sense that they're, they're doing ministry as a lay leader or a pastor, but they something's missing. I feel like I'm just promoting an institution, but I, I, it's frustrating to me you are ripe for the Bonhoeffer project. And the thing that I loved about it for me was the, the luxury that I knew once a month, I was going to have three or four hours where I could uh, enjoy being with other brothers and sisters in Christ and talk deeply about what is, what did Jesus call us to do? What does it look like? What is a disciple? What was Jesus? Those are just, you know, in that, that deadline every seven days in the local church, it, you don't always have time to think deeply because Sundays keeps coming. So the Bonhoeffer Project gave me uh, the luxury to know once a month, I'm going to be able to just think and sit back and climb up at 30,000 feet and see what's going on here in my life. What's going on in the church? Is this where we want to go? Is this who we want to be? Amen. Thanks, Sandy. Carmelita, lastly to you. Yeah, I'm going to piggyback on what Sam Sandy said, because I just finished a cohort with some women and they were saying the same thing. It was just wonderful to be able to sit with like minded Christians and have a conversation, a deep spiritual conversation with other women. I lead women. So um, if you are out there and you're going, I don't have a ministry, you have a ministry. If you are a a mother, you have a family, you have children that you're ministering to, you have the, your children's friends 
mothers and the people on the soccer field that you're going and you see them and they're asking you spiritual questions and you're like what do i do with them next those are that's your ministry i have women that come through the cohort and do all kinds of things with that from do, starting parachurch organizations to um to just being uh, disciple makers of their own children, to uh, leading women's ministry or children's ministries or things like that. So um, this is not just for the lead pastor. It's not just for the person who gets paid to be to work at the church. It's for if you if you're saying I want to know how to become a disciple maker and I want to do this in my context and I want to do it well. This is where you need to be. We will help you. We will walk alongside of you and and help you figure out what that looks like in your context. So what works in Tampa, Florida does not work in Arizona with the men. Does not it, Sandy, have you tried that? <laughs> no, no. You know, I, yeah, let me let me throw this in there at the end uh, just to add. And Sandy, I want to piggyback as well. One of the things that the Bonhoeffer Project did for me, and you, you addressed it, it answered why I was frustrated with ministry. And I think for many who are watching this, you've probably gotten into this world because you've recognized there's a problem within the church. And we we stopped making disciples. We started building churches. We started taking the role away from Jesus and saying, we got this. And we created programs and ministries and systems around church growth, but we forgot about the people. And the Bonhoeffer Project for me renewed my focus back on shepherding people. And and it answered why I was frustrated with ministry. It answered why I was frustrated with the local church. It wasn't because the church itself was bad or or inherently evil or something uh, like that. It really just showed that the church had lost its focus. And it gave me new and renewed purpose for why God had called me into ministry in the first place. It gave me my why back. And it, it as Jim said, it's hard. It, it's hard work, but once you've done it, it, it will renew your heart for ministry. You will be able to take on his yoke because it's easy and his burden is light. And you don't have to worry about building the church anymore. You can simply focus on making disciples, and let Jesus build the church. And it's one of the things that I love about what the Bonhoeffer Project does. Uh, we're all here as examples for what it has done for us. And uh, we know it can do the same for you. Thank you guys for joining us today. We want to thank Bobby Harrington and the whole discipleship.org team. If you've got any questions, you can check us out at bonhoefferproject.com. You can also check out our podcast. It comes out every two weeks, the Bonhoeffer Project podcast. For Jim, Carmelita, Sandy, myself, thank you guys for joining us. God bless you and go out there and make some disciples. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. I hope that you enjoyed that episode from the Bonhoeffer Project. And I hope that you'll check out the bonhoefferproject.com after the episode is finished. Up next, we're going to be hearing from Steve McCoy from Small Circle. It's always good to hear from him. He always has some pretty awesome insights to share with us. So I look forward to that. If you haven't already clicked subscribe, please do that so that you can stay tuned for when the episode is released. All right, y'all. Thanks for listening and have a great day.